Alright, tonight we're going to continue our study of evolution. We'll be in a, a lesson entitled Godless Evolution Part 3. <coughs> Alright, uh, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Guide and direct us now as we do want to study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, red, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> restoration <coughs> summary. The restoration, according to scripture, was accomplished in a series of divine acts. They were done in six literal days. These acts were highly organized and completely functioning from the beginning and could very well have been formed with an appearance of age, meaning the trees might have their rings already. The people, of course, were of age. First we had Adam, then we had Eve, so it's quite possible just a conjecture. Alright, the restoration was completed and finished during a special period in the past following God's who rested, uh, of course, on the seventh day and because he had done everything good for man. Alright, uh, so it was a finished product after the end of the seven days. Thus, there remains no reason why we cannot and should not accept the creation restoration recorded in Genesis as an historical, literal, and factual account of the specific events which took place just as God declared. And I would offer again a caution to our brothers and sisters in Christ not to try to decide how old is the earth by going to the Bible and much as many of them do and say it's only 10,000 years old. But we have studied the creation and we've studied much of the restoration and now we're in part three, so we can avoid that error. All right, in our study, I hope you notice that there is no indication of how long the planet has been around. Given the fact we have no idea how long the earth existed in perfection before the fall of Satan. And given the fact we have no idea how long it took Satan to destroy God's perfection. We must not assert an age for the planet nor should we attempt to describe what was occurring on earth during either the age of perfection or the age of chaos. There's plenty of room for dinosaurs of course particularly in Satan's age of imperfection uh, and an ice age. And we've studied that in our doctrine of, of course, evolution part one. And we followed along in part two with additional information about the creation. And now we're into this restoration summary. So now that we know a little bit about creation by fiat, let's return to evolution the modern alternative. Alright, other evidence of evolution. We're going to look at what we find under the heading of other evidence of, of evolution. We will look at some assumptions designed to 
stimulate our thinking. Uh, the evolutionists would dearly love for you to be convinced that change within various genres is scientific proof of evolution. It is a theory with no proof even after hundreds of years of determined searching. The proponents of evolution like to assert that evolution means change over time. Such an assertion begs the question and is without controversy and change over time is not what all the hoopla is about. After all, don't animals change over time? Of course they do. Evolution is not selective breeding, which produces thoroughbred racehorses, pedigreed dogs, colored cotton, resistance to DDT, or dark and light-colored moths, etc. Darwin's theory of evolution declares life on Earth began with a single-cell life, uh, which evolved into multi-cell life forms, which as a result of the change process uh, of random mutation, followed by natural selection, all without guidance or assistance from any intelligent entity like God. So random mutation and natural selection, a source are there. Uh, basis for Charles Darwin's theory of how it all came to be, but we'll talk more about that later. So in other words, very complicated developments like the human eye, morality, thumbs, and a consciousness of mortality just happened by accident. The Darwiniacs will quickly say, but that's why it took billions and billions of years. So what Darwin's theory stresses is an accidental process which gave us the very complicated world in which we live. The two tools the evolutionist uses to support his basic theory are natural selection and random mutation. So let's take a look at what they think about natural selection. Natural selection was first credited to Charles Darwin, who was a preacher. It later became synonymous with the term survival of the fittest. Darwin's, or Darwin proposed that nature was constantly improving plants and animals in the sense that those best suited to the environment were surviving. Darwin went much beyond this by asking his readers to believe this process explains how all life, both plant and animal, came into existence. Even if nature followed this process, which it does not, it takes a leap of faith to imagine that natural selection is a mechanism for evolution, ev excuse me, evolution, given the following problems. Here they go. Many useful characteristics would be liabilities instead of assets while in an incomplete state of evolution. As a result, the evolution or the evolving species would probably not survive unless nature somehow intervened with some type of protection or plan. Many species have characteristics which work against their best interests and some of these species are our oldest. For example, one of the older, the opossum. The possum feigns death and is often eaten rather than flight or fight. 
Professor Osmond Breland, a University of Texas biology professor, says or said, whatever the reason for this performance, it appears decidedly disadvantageous to further generations of possums. Many animals have developed deleterious effects which have resulted in the demise of the species. These evolving characteristics are supposed to get them into another or better species that is better fitted to the environment. But since this has never been seen, we are left only to ponder what we might find in the future. Some scientists have therefore felt obligated to offer a reason for the lack of evidence. The explanation is the old standby. Things just happen too slowly. It takes millions of years. Many have asked, how long must we wait for the single example? All right, clearly many species change as environments dictate, but such changes are always intra-species changes and not new species. There have been cases where a reversal takes place. That is, when environmental conditions change. A species may in fact change and then return to its original form because the environment changes. Example. In England, the number of dark-colored moths of a certain genre disappeared. Taxonomists, that is, people who determine what is a duck and what is a bird and so forth and so forth, Excuse me, taxonomists feared, taxonomists feared this disappearance was permanent. Evidence of a lost species. Soon, however, the same genre of uh, moths reappeared, but as light-colored moths. An English medical doctor named H.B.D. Kettle gave up his lucrative practice of 15 years to investigate this colored change as evidence of evolution facilitated by natural selection. He concluded in an article that appeared in Scientific American magazine, this was the most striking change ever witnessed by man. This event occurred just before the Industrial Revolution, however, when the trees were light in color. It seems the birds found it easier to see the dark-colored moths against the light-colored tree bark, and thus the dark moths soon disappeared. It was noted that the same genre of moths later appeared as light-colored and thus declared to be evidence of a new species caused by natural selection. In some textbooks, this case has been used to prove a change in species because of natural selection, and yet, It was stipulated by all concerned that the species was the same, just the color of the moths changed. Another widely reported change in species because of natural selection was the observed ability of flies to develop resistance to DDT, and this development was thought to be passed on to their descendants. The next generation, however, did not cooperate fully because They were still just flies who resisted the poison. In the May 24, 1995 edition of the Wall Street Journal, there appeared a special front page report entitled, 
The Prehistoric Past Casts Ills in New Light. The article written by Dr. S. Boyd Eaton contained many very interesting facts about prehistoric man and how modern medicine had adopted practices which did not permit man to any longer evolve. The major problem seemed to be, at least in the mind of the author, that the practice of medicine did not let the weaker members die off. Therefore, natural selection was not permitted to refine and evolve a better human specimen. One quote was particularly revealing. Those who couldn't cope tended to be culled before they could mate and pass on their unfit gene variants. But somewhere around a 100,000 years ago, our increasingly brainy forebears learned how to talk and use tools to block the cruel culling. Physically, we had changed little since. Interestingly, the lack of evolution observed in man is now man's own fault. It would appear Dr. S. Boyd Eaton is hard up for scientific data to support his lack of evolutionary sightings, so we just keep on being the same old unevolved people. All right, so much for natural selection. Let's look at random mutation. This is the Darwinian's mechanism to carry out the natural selection. For example, the average textbook will say something like this. Charles Darwin, by natural selection, had the theory of evolution almost complete, but not being a geneticist, but a preacher, he lacked the how-to of the theory. One such work goes on to say, Today we have, through the advancement of genetics, the answer for a complete explanation. The how-to is called mutation. According to Webster, a mutation is a hypothetical change in heredity, producing new individuals basically unlike their parents. The textbook writer will go on to give examples of how the color of an animal will change from that of its progenitors. This, remember, is the great scientific area where Darwin needed training. This is what textbook writers will glibly declare. The problem is our children and grandchildren will be taught by teachers who believe this stuff. The 1973 Westlake High School 10th grade biology textbook stated... The following two examples are proof of evolution via natural selection, mutation, and adaptation or ecological factors working together. And then we get the fly and the DDT scenario already reviewed. So when evolutionists are making so much about examples like this, you know they are in a world of hurt for proof. Mutations are in most cases adverse or harmful to the species, even fatal or crippling. In 99% of the cases, or as Huxley stated, more than 99% of all mutations are harmful. Evolutionists use this circuitous logic to support their theory. Even though by their own admission, more than 99% of mutations will harm the animal or the insect by either killing or crippling it. So you might ask, how could that be? Easy, they say. See, I told you it takes a long time because we have to wait on the less than 1% of 
And that is why you never see any of this happening. Alright, dating the planet. We've already talked about the fact that it's got to have a lot of years. Uh, and there's a, certainly indication that we do have a lot of years. Uh, as we studied earlier in, in our... Uh, Lesson, I think it was part one, where I gave you the quotes from Dr. Francis Collins's book, The Language of God. But let's talk about dating. Dating the planet, that is. All right, dating methods for geological time have nothing to do with the theory of evolution. The subject is often used in discussions among the evolutionists just to try to discredit the Bible. Repeatedly bringing up the subject is merely a diversionary tactic. The reason Darwiniacs continue to bring up the subject is because it is widely reported the Bible limits planet Earth to about 8,000 to 10,000 years. As we have earlier studied, such is not the case. Nothing could be further from the truth. In our categorical study of creation, chaos, and restoration, we saw that there is no spiritual basis for questioning what science now believes is a very old earth. Recall our previous study. There is no one who knows how long the earth existed as a perfect creation. No one knows how long it took Satan and his minions to mess up perfection. And there is no one who knows how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden. Clearly, therefore, the old earth theories may be true. So dating methods may suffer from inherent problems, but such would be of little concern to the Christian, or should be. Let's review a few of these methods with the understanding the review is not designed to argue the age of the planet. The aim is simply to recognize the methods and a few of their weaknesses. Planet Earth may be indeed millions of light years old given what we have just learned of the creation, the chaos, and the restoration. All right, let's look at fluoride as a method. As a body dies, it begins to take in fluoride. <coughs> and thus, geologists have measured the amount of fluoride and a fossil as evidence of age. There is an obvious problem, however. The amount of fluoride is not distributed equally over the Earth's surface. For this reason, this method has been discredited. Carbon-14 is produced as cosmic rays bombard nitrogen atoms in the atmosphere, and carbon-14 is absorbed into the body during a lifespan. At death, a body begins giving off carbon-14. The less carbon-14, the younger the specimen. Carbon-14 is a much-publicized dating method and one with much-purported accuracy. The truth of the matter, however, is not all that clear. There are some members of the scientific community who are somewhat skeptical. Professor William Lee Stokes, in his book, Essentials of Earth History, writes, The original enthusiasm over carbon-14 dating was followed by a period of, lot of more cautious evaluation when many obviously incorrect dates came to light. Ernest Antevis, writing in the Journal of Geology, said, The apologists try a little too hard to make the geology fit the dates. An informal geological estimate is better than a carbon-14 date lacking geological support. 
even though the latter may appear attractive by giving an impression of definiteness. Charles B. Hunt, president of the American Geological Institute, said, Radiocarbon dates are sufficiently scattered and erratic to provide some determinations that will support almost any proposed correlation. An example, an island in the near Pacific. This little island was Kileo, with a known short-lived life uh, was dated by carbon-14 and said to be between 0 to 22 million years. Experts, when queried about the scientific slop, responded. So again, as we talk about, uh, again, carbon dating, Charles B. Hunt provides an interesting corollary here, uh, where an island in the near Pacific was known to have a short life it was dated by carbon-14 and said to be between 0 to 22 million years. All right, now let's look at because the island, however, here's the problem, was underwater so long before it rose cataclysmically from the ocean. There was a shielding by the water of cosmic radiation. Therefore, less carbon-14 buildup due to very few cosmic rays bombarding nitrogen atoms. So little did these experts realize at the time that this very accurate statement explains the great disparities of carbon-14 datings when antediluvian versus post-diluvian dates are compared. There are other reasons why some scientists believe radiogenic methods uh, such as carbon-14 are inconsistent. And you'll recall in our study of the Creation, we noted that the earth originally was surrounded by water, and uh, therefore anything prior to the flood was going to be different from that after the flood because of the shielding the water. And it was proven when the, the island that we just talked about was discovered. All right, Dr. Bolton David Heiser. Heiser a zoologist and geneticist believes cosmic radiation has not been constant because of changes in the Earth's magnetic field and radiation flux itself. Geologists agree that the effect of carbon dioxide released by volcanic action over the last 50,000 years alone would be very difficult to measure. But they all agree that CO2 affects radiogenic methods. In the future, care must be taken to evaluate the effect of neutrons released into the atmosphere by nuclear testing. It is estimated that carbon-14 in the atmosphere is three to four times greater today than in 1962 as a result of such nuclear testing. All right, another method of dating, isotopic. The problems encountered with isotopic dating methods are vast and recently great doubt as to their validity has been cast in much of the scientific community. Decay rates of radioactive materials over geological time have changed. This is startling because the whole system of isotopic dating is based on the assumption that such decay rates are constant. For example, Robert V. Gentry in the October 1957 issue of Medical Opinion and Review has written, 
my investigation of the uranium and thorium halos disclosed a startling circumstance. The radioactive decay rates have probably changed considerably during geological time. In other words, vast time. All right, then there's potassium argon. A dating method where rocks located near fossil remains are measured as to the content of potassium compared to the amount of argon. It is assumed that potassium decays at a fixed rate, producing a gas known as argon. This method has certainly inherent disadvantages. So like other methods, there's a great deal of authority indicating the rate of potassium decay has not always been constant. Results from potassium argon dating has given some rather bizarre and discrepant results. All right, some examples for example. The Nutcracker Man, found by L.S.B. Lakey, was dated at 1,750,000 years. The stratum just below the skull tested 1,500,000 years, which should be older rather than younger. Further, G. H. Rod von Konswald, a noted anthropologist, tested a layer of basalt below the second stratum and found the life measured one million years younger than the test showed. Dr. Hunt, who we previously read about on page three, has written of dating methods in general. No one seriously proposes that all the determined dates are without error, and we do not know how many of them are in error. We do not know which dates are in error or by what amounts or why. Now compare these scientific opinions with a purported fact found in the October 1961 issue of National Geographic. No ordinary mechanical clock, not even the finest Swiss watch, can match our laboratory instrument for precision like rubidium standard and cesium beam standards, etc. All right, dating methods in general do not conflict with the Bible. However, to the evolutionist, time is very necessary because A. To the evolutionist, the mechanism of mutation is the only viable method of genetic progression caused by natural selection. B. 99% of all mutations result in either death or crippling and thus a 1% effective rate requires a great deal of time if evolutionary progress is to be made. C. For the tools of evolution, natural selection and random mutation to be viable, billions of years are necessary. All right, interesting facts mysteriously hidden. Teleology is the study of evidence of design in nature. Textbook writers are cautioned to never provide students with an implication of intelligent design. The science editor of Newsweek in the December 23, 1963 issue reported that geologists at a meeting of the American Geological Society were advising the rehabilitation of catastrophism without recourse to a supernatural uh, agent. In other words, intelligent design must never be offered to students as a possibility. Example, many teachers are urged to say things like, Turtles come out of the water 
and happen to lay their eggs on the beach as opposed to turtles come out of the water to lay their eggs on the beach and yet any biologist or a good taxonomist will tell you there are certain species of turtles who never come to the beach ever except to lay their eggs. So many proponents of evolution are deathly afraid intelligent design might be equated with God or a supernatural power rather than happen chance. As a good student, this should make you fighting mad that someone is attempting to mold your plastic mind in a present mold consistent with someone else's preset standards. Whatever happened to the age-old axiom that a scientist must think inductively and not deductively. All right. Taxonomy. Taxonomy is the study of classifying species. There is a prevailing argument on the part of evolutionists that the book of Genesis tells us that every species was, uh, species was created in its own kind and every creature was to reproduce after its kind. Interestingly, this is exactly what we see happening today. No data has ever been presented to indicate such reproduction ever stopped. It is a wonder any evolutionist would ever bring up the subject, but they do. Because some animals resemble one another, like a zebra looks like a horse, and a coyote looks like a dog, the evolutionist with great pomposity makes much of what they call theoretical progressions based solely on similarity of looks. Let me explain. There is a great reliance on taxonomy. It is assumed that any good taxonomist knows for sure what is a species and can therefore tell if animals are moving from one to another. Let's look at the history, however, of classification or the wonderful world of taxonomy. Although there are numerous changes within most species, there has never been a change, even alleged, to have occurred between species, and this after hundreds of years of careful scrutiny scrutiny by multitudes of biologists seeking desperately to find such a phenomenon. Evolutionists have duped students with cliches, cliches such as the gap is all we have to fill and then it'll be all over. The trite but powerful gap is that discovery of interspecies movement. This gives the insouciant student the impression that all but minor proof has been found when in reality the only proof available is nothing since no one, no one even purports to find movement from one species to another. Much has been left to the taxonomist to arrange hard and fast species definition. Quite to the contrary, taxonomy has been unable to agree on definitions of species. They vary and change even as we speak. Let me illustrate. Quoting from Hulsos and Cook textbook, Biology for Medical Students, to explain the presence of so many different kinds of plants and animals, two theories have been propounded. The traditional idea was that of special creation in which all organisms as we know them today, were invented and made in the beginning of time with the same structure as we now find them. 
Now such is the primitive human conception of the origin of the species as exemplified in the first chapter of Genesis and similar ideas also current in the cosmologies of most religions of the world. The facts of biology, however, do not allow us to accept this view. Hegner and Stiles in their book, College Zoology, quote, the doctrine of special creation, that is that each species of animal was specially created, is sufficiently refuted. Gardner, moment in his textbook, General Biology, quote, one of the oldest ideas and until recently, the most widely accepted is the theory of special creation. Certainly very few, perhaps no biologists, now believe that each species was separately created and has existed since the beginning of the world. Now much is made of the use of the Hebrew word lamana, translated kind, as meaning every species was created exactly as it was ordained and divinely prohibited from change. Nothing could be further from the truth. The word translated kind is very subjective and might better read after the general likeness of one another. The kind described in Genesis is far from being restricted as most Darwiniacs allege. It will surprise even Christians to learn that the King James Version leaves a little to be desired. Let's take a look at a few scriptures. Genesis 1.21 uses the word canon, meaning land mammals after their kind. Living creature or nephish, meaning all animal life. Cattle or behemoth, meaning tame or domesticated animals after their kind. Creeping things or ramas, meaning living things that glide on the earth. Now, Genesis 1.21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, much then is made of or by the evolutionists that God said something he never said. God F obviously obviously left room for animals to operate sexually within their general kind, subject to certain chromosome limitations. Please remember we find nothing offered by the evolutionists as evidence of interest moment excuse me, movement of species but rather a diversionary tactic of an alleged prohibition by God that species were separately created and must exist as originally created from the beginning of the world. This is again done by the evolutionists to merely discredit the Bible because obvious intra-movement of species has always been a fact, not inter-species movement. Please keep in mind the evolutionist is a master of scientific ledger domain. The evolutionist is devious because his arguments are most often made by men with knowledge of biological science and should know one cannot at any given time properly define the term species. Since the experts frequently disagree about among themselves, 
and change their minds as to what is a species, it is absurd as well as dishonest to imply that men who are not taxonomists can do this. What they try to do is to portray creationists and people who believe the Bible as stupid. Textbook writers change that special creationists believe every species was created separately. And then they themselves admit that the number of creations change over time. few examples. Freshwater clams were formerly believed to exist in 251 species, but they have now been reduced to one. Look at Ernst Meyer's book, Systematics and the Origin of the Species. In 1931, Swarth studied ground finches and classified them as five genera, 317 species and subspecies, was, but confessed it would be logical to place them all in one. See Julian Huxley's The Living Thoughts of Darwin. In Ruggles' Gates' Human Ancestry, the species of birds were said to be reduced by changes of opinions from 27,000 to 8,500. Fishes of North America have moved from 670 to 795. See Michael Geyer's book, Animal Biology. In 1955, Rhina condivehi frog, formerly classified in 1922, has determined to be only a mutant form of the common leopard frog. It differed only with reference to a single mutant gene. So this list goes on and on ad infinitum. This is perhaps why Harvard professor Hooten was quoted as saying, I am convinced that a zoological classificationist may be as dissolute and as irresponsible as a lightning rod salesman. See Ernest Hooten's book, Apes, Men, and Morons. Had Richard Nixon known how the taxonomists can adjust species to fit their needs or how strong the environmentalist lobby would become, I doubt the Endangered Species Act would ever have been signed into law. Today we find progress being stopped and property rights taken as genera as adjusted to fit the needs of Mother Earth. DNA and evolution. Now, much found in this section will repeat what has earlier been discussed. However, there's a major difference. As you know, I started my study of evolution several years earlier, and much has changed since then. Knowledge has evolved, but it is still knowledge. My library has grown, and I have been forced to read additional books, acquire new vocabulary to include terms like biochemistry, microbiology, crystallography, psyllium, and flagellum, etc. Don't believe all you read in your newspaper. The purpose of this section is to record several comments about an article which appeared in the Austin American Statesman in October 2005. The article is a reprint from the Washington Post. The authorities are Richard Weiss and David Brown. I want to review the article with comment. My comments will be highlighted uh, after each paragraph. So the headline read, Evolution of Evidence, DNA Tests Say Darwin Was Right. The article begins with a definition of what is evolution. Evolution is a genetic change in species over time. Evolution also used, or evolutionists also use the term 
common descent. For example, humans and chimps, for example, are thought to care, thought to share a common ancestor. Evolution is driven by several processes, the best known of which is natural selection. A driver described by Charles Darwin in his 1959 book, The Origin of Species. So the article then asks, what is natural selection? The author then answers, Species evolve from common ancestors as genetic mutations give rise to new physical traits. The author provides two definitions of evolution. The first, evolution is a genetic change in a species over time. As we have seen, this is not a definition of evolution. We often see intraspecies changes over time. The second definition is a good one and one accepted by most Darwiniacs. As earlier noted, evolutionists believe there are two facilitators of evolutionary change. They are natural selection and mutation. The author stipulates natural selection and random mutations are necessary for evolution to occur. It has long been established that mutations are usually detrimental. Approximately 95 to 99% of all mutations result in something bad. We see it most often in deformed children, although it is often seen in animals. When there is a mutation, it generally will result in a physical problem or even death of an offspring. Let me again quote from Bolton, David Heiser's book, Evolution and Christian Faith. Mutations are the bane of evolutionary theory. Mutations are said to be the method by which species have evolved. If, however, the vast majority of mutations result in deformities or death, it is difficult to see it as a mechanism for change in species. Traits that improve a species' ability to survive and reproduce are passed to new generations, while traits that hinder reproduction and survival fade away. Natural selection can be ecological uh, driven by comp- meaning, driven by competition for food and habit, or sexual, driven by competition for mates. Sexual selection can result in features that appear contrary to ecological survival. For example, the tail feathers of a peacock. Another example is the possum playing dead. The possum is one of the oldest species, and yet one of the characteristics of the possum, which is said to be a result of natural selection, is playing dead. The possum that plays dead is often eaten. Nonetheless, the possum is, as it is called in scientific terms, continues to exist and prosper. That is the opossum. So the article tries to answer the question, is evolution just a theory? Scientific theories are not mere hunches. All right, we're going to stop right there. And I don't know what we're going to do. Um... next week but uh, we shall see what we shall see alright let's close her out now with uh, our invitation though we are looking at uh, evolution uh, without God we've already looked at evolution with God and evolution in general Father and uh We do indeed know that each and every one of us uh, needs to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who live on this planet. 
So I would ask that if you are a a human being who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to do that right now. As the Scripture says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you tell the God the Father, and believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. Now I'm going to pause for just a moment and then I'm going to close with our benediction. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to know You as the Creator of all things. So I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in Your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.